West Bowles, good morning. It is wonderful to be back. I, I, before I even launch into the sermon, I just need you to thank with me, and I know you already have, but would you please thank Brian, Ryan, and Brad, who, who preached these last few weeks. And I mean, they all did so well, I don't even want to follow. So let's close in prayer. We're, we're out of here, all right? No, they, they thank you guys. That was truly a gift to get to rest for a bit. Well, this morning, um, I, need to, I need to show you something. And, and this is going to, just right off the bat, this is going to scar some of you, okay? So I'm, I'm just warning you, it's fair warning. I want to show you, and I've showed some of you this before. At Columbine High School, I, I wrestled. And I, I brought with me an exact replica of the singlet and size of singlet that I wore for every single wrestling match. Right there. All right. I, again, some of you um, just shut off your imaginations, okay? So uh, this, this, this brings back a lot of memories, obviously. And um, a lot of scarring memories for myself, actually. Like having to put it on in the first place. But one of the things that, the reason I bring this up, first, are there any volunteers that would like to come try this on? I mean, this thing was loose on me in high school, actually. Um, I mean, if we don't have any volunteers, this is going to be my preaching singlet every single week, okay? I'm just kidding. Okay. That's how the church would close down right there. Uh, I bring that up because this morning I want to teach you how to wrestle. Or, or as the verse you just saw in the bumper video says, struggle. I want to teach you how to struggle. And it's not because I think you're new to struggling. Nobody in here, if you've lived any amount of time, is new to struggling. I mean, you, you struggle out of bed to get here, right? You struggle out of bed every single day. Some of you, you struggle with pain, physical pain. Maybe you struggle with children. Maybe you struggle with parents. Maybe you struggle with relatives. You struggle with a boss a peer, a coworker, a neighbor. And for some in here, if you're sitting here, maybe your struggle is faith. Maybe your struggle is with this idea of a heavenly father. And, and for you, the struggle is, are you even there? Have you even noticed my life? Because when I look around, it just doesn't really feel like it. See, we all know struggling, don't we? And we all know it in a real way. In fact, some of you, you could put your story up of struggle up next to mine, and mine would pale in comparison. See, the issue is not settling the it, not if but when of struggling. I think we've all come to that conclusion. For us, the, the, the battle with struggle is one of clarity. That is, when you get into a struggle, I mean, outside, out these doors right now is a very, very real representation, isn't it? I mean, it is just everything gets hazy doesn't it? And, and it's hard to see clearly. When we sense we're beginning to wrestle with something and we're struggling against something or with something in this life, it's, it's very easy to get foggy. This fog settles in. And we don't know who it is or what it is or how we wrestle or what even the end goal of it is. And so we begin to say things. We begin to look in the mirror and we begin to say things like, I must or I should, or if I could only, or if I can only change this. And, and, and there's a very real struggle that goes on with, with even struggling, with even wrestling. It's a difficult thing, isn't it? 
Yeah, see, it's an issue of clarity every single time. We become like the girl in high school who, when she found out that we had a wrestling team, it was a, thir- a wrestling match, it was a Thursday morning. We had a match that night. She came up to me and she said, Nathan, you guys have a wrestling match tonight? I think I'm going to come. I was like, okay, awesome. And then she said, so does it hurt when you guys like hit each other with those chairs? And I was like, What? And she's like, I mean, when you, like, when you run up and you hit each other with, with chairs and wrestling or somebody jumps off the top rope, and I was like, you know what? Don't even come tonight. Don't come. You're going to be so disappointed. You're going to be I mean, we're talking boys in leotards, half the size they should be. That's the kind of wrestling that we do. But we've become like that girl when it comes to struggle. Because when we sense there's a struggling going on, everything gets foggy. And so this morning, I want to take you to the, really the context. It was the setting of the verse that we just saw in that video. And it's a wrestling match. And for those of you in here who you think you've, you've mastered struggling, or maybe you're just beyond the, life's main struggles, listen, we're going to look at a wrestling match that involved a man in his 90s this morning. Okay? This is in Genesis chapter 32. And, and just to set the, the stage for what's going on here. Uh, First of all, in the Old Testament, one of the grand motifs of the Old Testament or themes is that of blessing and cursing. And basically it went like this. If you're faithful, if you're obedient, you're blessed. If you were disobedient or you weren't faithful, there was a curse on you and on your life. And and we still have some version of that today. Because isn't it true you think in your mind, if only, like if I can just live up to a certain standard, if I will just carry out, or maybe you think of things outside of you. If only my boss would notice, then I'd be blessed. If only those neighbors would move out, then we'd be at peace. If only I could make everything, if, if only I was better, if only I was bigger, faster, stronger, then I'd be blessed. Isn't that what we do? I mean, it's everywhere we look in our society today. The same thing was going on thousands of years ago. So, in Genesis chapter 32... That's the setting. Now, there's a man named Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. They have two sons, Esau and Jacob. And from birth, we get a picture of what the life of Esau and Jacob and their relationship with one another is going to look like. And it's one that looks a lot like our relationships with one another in the world today. Esau's born first. On his heel, and I mean literally on his heel, Jacob, his brother, his, his brother is born holding his heel. And it was a foreshadowing of things to come. These two were going to struggle with one another. They were going to be wrestling with each other throughout their lives. You see a picture of it when they're young men. And some of you know this story. If you grew up in church, you heard this in Sunday school growing up. One day, Esau, he, Esau's like this hunter, red hair like just manly man. He comes in one day from hunting and he says, I am famished. And the reason he's saying is because Jacob's over there at the stove because Jacob's the kind of boy who stands at the stove and he cooks, he's making stew. And so Esau looks at Jacob and he says, I am famished. Give me some of that stew. And Jacob, Jacob, you're going to see this throughout Jacob's life. Jacob has learned and will continue to learn that he can use people and he can use things to gain blessing. So Jacob looks up at him. And he says, I'll give, you, I'll, I'll give you this stew, but you got to sell me your birthright. 
you got to give me your birthright. Now, the birthright isn't really a thing today that you hear much about. But basically, the firstborn in every family, the firstborn son, got this blessing that was beyond the blessing of everybody else. It was like double the favor, double the inheritance, double the fun. They got to settle family disputes. They got to be judge and jury to all of that stuff. They got to have the say. And so Jacob's looking at his older brother just by a few moments. And he says, you can have some stew if you give me your birthright. And we read in Genesis, just a few chapters before this, and it says, and Esau sold him his birthright for a bowl of stew. And Jacob, Jacob has been able to use something as small as stew to gain a form of blessing. Years go by. Now Isaac, their father, he's on his deathbed, and his eyesight's not very good. And so he calls Esau over, the oldest son, and he says, Esau, I want you to go hunting, and I basically want you to bring back some wild game that's tasty. Basically, I want to have one more meal, and then I'm going to bless you. And so Esau goes off. Well, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, is in on it, the boy's mom. She overhears all this, and she says to Jacob, oh, no, Esau is about to get the blessing from your father before he dies. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get two goats. Okay, we're going to prepare that meal, and then she's going to take the goat skin, because remember, Esau's a very hairy man, okay, and Jacob is not. So what she does is she puts the goat skin on his hands. Now, what kind of skin product line is that right there, right? Goat skin uh, product, skin products, okay, but this is what, so when Isaac reaches out for who he thinks is Esau's hand, he feels the hair, and he goes, this must be him. The whole time it's Jacob. And a few moments go by, and Isaac gives the blessing to Jacob, the blessing that belonged to Esau as the oldest son. And Isaac gives the blessing to Jacob. See, throughout his life, Jacob, one of the things he's known for, especially the first half of his life, is this idea that he's, just, he's a deceiver, and he can manipulate, and he's always after something. So where we pick up this morning in Genesis chapter 32, 20 years have gone by. 20 years have gone by, and Jacob sets out to meet up with Esau. It's been 20 years. Now imagine this. It's been 20 years, and the last time you saw your brother, you cheated him out of the birthright. How do you think, how would you expect that to go? Yeah, not good. But it makes it really entertaining for us as we read it. Okay, listen, listen to what Jacob does. This is in Genesis 32, verse 6. He sends, he sends off messengers to greet Esau and tell him that he's Jacob, your brother, is coming to see you. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. And listen to this. And 400 men are with him. Now, if you didn't know this story... If it's been 20 years and the last time you saw your brother, you cheated them out of this, dear, this, this very dear blessing, what would you expect 400 men to mean? Yeah, he hasn't forgotten, and he's coming, and you're done for, right? Now, this is where when we begin to look at this incident, you can see some things happening with Jacob that happen with every single one of us. Because what Jacob is really powering up for is a wrestling match. A struggle with his brother. 400 men and his brother are on their way to him. Jacob thinks, the last time I saw him, I cheated him. And so Jacob, 
with all his ways and his character and everything we know about him, is going to try to appease his brother while he and his men are on their way. You see, this is what we do, isn't it? Without having any further information, don't we all do this? I mean, you just think of a struggle or a face of somebody you're struggling with in life right now. Don't we all power up in some way? We begin to get a plan together a little bit. And this is one of the clarifying things that this account gives us about how we wrestle and how we struggle. Because the reality is that while we think we're powering up, what's happening, what's actually happening, is we are being brought down to our very selves. Take a look at what happens as the chapter proceeds. Verse 7 and 8. It says, In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, because surely that's what Esau's going to do, right? He's, he's out to, to get us. If he attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. You see it? He's in planning mode right now. And this is what we do. Without even having all the details and all the information, we begin to look left and right. And if somebody looks at us sideways or, or looks at us differently, we just start making assumptions. So he's in planning mode. And then in the, in the next few verses, he goes into prayer mode. Right? This is the other thing we do. Okay, I've got my plans. God bless my plans for my purposes. And we, we do almost the exact opposite thing that Ryan Long talked about a couple weeks ago. When he talked about the Lord's Prayer. Remember who he said that begins with? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we don't often start there. We start with my kingdom come. My kingdom be protected. My kingdom be blessed. My will be done. And when you read Jacob's prayer, it sounds a little bit like that. So he says this prayer, and then listen to the details of the plan. It says he spent the night there, in verse 13, he spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes, oh, I still can never say that word, and 20 rams. It goes on, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. Now, do you see what he's doing? Some of us think, wow, he's just so generous. But you got to think about Jacob. See, Jacob's character is he's planning. He is scheming. Now think about it. Esau is on his way with 400 people. How would you slow down 400 people coming your way? Send more over there for them to have to move with. Because isn't it true that the bigger you get, the harder it is to move? The harder it is to gain control. And so he's got 400 warrior men that are coming at us. Let's just throw a bunch of animals in the way. And so this is in, maybe in Jacob's mind, accomplishing two things. Not only is he being generous to his brother, trying to find favor with him, but maybe he can slow him down a little bit. Maybe if this is an attack, it won't come as fast. See, the net effect is he's going to slow his brother down a little bit. It goes on. <clears throat> Verse 20. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. These are, these are, this is to the servants who, who went over with the animals. Be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us, for he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he'll receive me. 
Now, do you just have those people in your life that you feel like they're up to something all the time? And it's like, why are you being so nice to me right now? What is that about? What are you getting at? This was Jacob. This was the character of Jacob. Verse 21, so Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. And here's where we start to see what's actually going on when the fog of the struggle sets in. Something is happening big picture here, and we're about to see it in the next few verses. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. You see what's happening? He sent all these animals. He sent the messengers. He sent the servants. There's a lot more on that side of the stream now than on this side. And now it's his family, and now it's his possessions. And it says this. So Jacob was left alone. So Jacob was left alone, right where God wanted him. See, there's this interesting thing that happens throughout this life. You know, we struggle because we think, if I just get more, I'll be blessed. If I could just deal with them, I'll be blessed. If I could just appease them, if I could just find favor in them, from them, I'll be blessed. And so we wrestle and we struggle. And when it looks like calamity has arrived, we, we struggle to avoid all of it, don't we? And yet what's really happening here is that Jacob's plan is being used for God's purposes because Jacob is actually getting rid of the very things he's depending on. And he's sending them over like he's depending on them, but he's actually, he's sending them. They're going away from him. Now, come to us for a minute. Isn't this what we do? I mean, when we sense that we're in a struggle with somebody or something or there's some dynamic going on, don't we start looking left or right for things and people to depend on? And we look for the people that are on my side. And who can I get on my side? We all do this. Yet one of the first things we've got to recognize is that in order to prepare to struggle well, we have to recognize that the sooner we get to that place where we're all by ourselves, the sooner we are exactly where God wants us. You want to know what did this for me in high school wrestling? Just to put an image in your minds again, this right here, okay? The greatest obstacle to my high school wrestling career was the day that the coaches said, I mean, I'm picturing sweatpants and T-shirts, that's what we're going to wrestle in, and they gave us this, okay? This is a terrifying thing to think about putting on by yourself, not to mention in front of stands full of people. And you're going to match up against somebody else. And there's nobody out there with you. I mean, there are coaches screaming and there are teammates screaming because they're not out there on the mat with you. But this is what happens to us. While we think, i got to gather and i got to power up and that's how I win the struggle, God says, no, no, no. I want to shed every single thing you depend on. And if I had to guess, for Jacob, this was probably not just a one-time thing. This was an over and over and over thing. Because for all of us, this is an over and over and over thing. Well, I only read half the verse there. Jacob is all alone. 
And what we're going to see next in this account is not just that the, the preparation for wrestling is coming down to being all by ourselves, but there's also this, this lack of clarity in who we're actually struggling against. Listen to this. Verse 24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. That's kind of random if you're just reading the account. Like, what? I thought he was going to meet his brother, and, and a guy just shows up, like maybe in a singlet, and they're just going to wrestle? I mean, all he has to do is cross the stream, and there's some guy who just doesn't want him to cross the stream, so they're going to wrestle? It's, it's kind of bizarre. You should read your Bible. This stuff's all over the Bible, okay? So they wrestle until daybreak. Now, here's, here's what we have to see here. Up to now, Jacob thought Jacob was going to wrestle and, and struggle against Esau. But there's somebody else who has entered the picture here. And we get a clue as to who this somebody else is in the next verse. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, and here's the clue, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, do you know anybody that has that kind of power that they can just, just touch you and you're done? I mean, the only thing I can think of outside of God himself is maybe age. I was out on a walk the other night. Have you ever just, you know, I've talked about dumb injuries in here before, but have you ever just been out for a walk and suddenly you just go down? It's like, I wasn't even, I wasn't even trying to high jump just now. I wasn't doing a cartwheel, a flip, and I am down. And, and I've got to like call my wife to come pick me up. Uh, Nathan, what were you doing? I was out on a walk. She's got to get a gurney and put me in the van and get me back home, okay? Give me fluids, all that stuff. Now, this, you want to know who he's wrestling right now? The one with the power to be able to do that kind of thing. Jacob, who thought he was going to wrestle Esau, who thought he was going to wrestle a person, a face, is actually wrestling God. We get a picture of this later on in Hosea. Hosea talks about this wrestling match and says that Jacob wrestled God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, this is, this is often what we do, isn't it? I mean, think about, when you think about, even when you come across the word enemies in the Bible, don't we all do this thing and don't lie because you're in church right now? Don't we all do this thing when we read, you know, give me victory over my enemies? You're thinking of people, aren't you? Yes, we're all thinking of people. I mean, you just get faces that come to mind, and you start writing them down, and suddenly it's you and God against them, isn't it? You bunch of liars. Okay, well, I do this sometimes, all right? See, it's not just that we, we prepare for wrestling by powering up that we think. We also think that our struggle and our wrestling is against people. And yet Jacob was finding out that night, Jacob, the reason that you wrestle with Esau, the reason that you've been wrestling with your father-in-law, the intervening chapters go into that before this account, is because actually, Jacob, there's something inside you that you and God need to wrestle out, that you need to struggle with here. That's who the opponent really is. I remember, went to Columbine High School, and when I was in, in high school, the big rival for Columbine, Dakota Ridge wasn't around yet. Yes, I'm that old, okay? But the, the big rival for us was Chatfield, and I'll never forget the night that I had to wrestle, and I found out that my opponent was actually my friend. I had to wrestle my friend 
from Chatfield. It's like the only kid at Chatfield I even liked, and I've got to wrestle this kid out on the mat. You see, you, you tend to, when, when you're new to, the, to struggling, to wrestling, you tend to wrestle a person who's your friend a lot differently. And that's what Jacob is about to discover. That when it comes to wrestling God, not only, not only is he the, the opponent at some point, but you wrestle him a lot differently. It goes on. <clears throat> the wording here makes it sound like Jacob is, is physically winning, but we know all the man had to do was touch the hip socket for him to be overpowered. And so we know it was God, but it's interesting because it says, when the man saw he could not overpower him. So what's going on here? There's an internal struggle going on. Verse 26, the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, do you notice the language here? You notice the language has shifted? Jacob didn't say, I will, I will not stop wrestling you until you bless me. Jacob said, I will not let go. See, the match, the struggle here has shifted. Jacob isn't trying to hold God down. Jacob's just trying to hold on. And in that statement lies a key for so many of us as we struggle with whatever we're struggling with in life. Because a lot of times, isn't it true you want to hold God down? And say, if you could just listen to what and hear my perspective. We say, just do what I want you to do. We're trying to hold him down. And Jacob, I don't know if it was the moment his hip socket was touched or what. When he recognized who his struggle was actually with, Jacob shifted. He said, okay, I'm not going to try to overpower. I'm just going to try to hold on. I'm not going to try to hold you down to what I want, God. I'm just going to try to hold on. In my own experience, as I've wrestled and wrestled and wrestled, and I don't mean literal wrestling in high school, but as I've gone through those seasons of struggle in my life, something shifts when you stop trying to hold God down and you begin to hold on and you cling to where you once struggled. It's amazing how far we'll go to try to avoid the struggle, but when you get beyond it, when God has done something with it, when you've seen him in the midst of it, when he redeems it, we cling to it, don't we? We point back at it, don't we? Over and over, I've told you about junior high. For three years, I just went, I'm not, I'm not working with junior hires here at the church. I'm just not. Again, it was the worst 10 years of my life when I was in junior high, okay? It didn't really take that long. Anyway, but that's what we think. That's what we think. God, if I could just hold you down. Instead, the preparation is coming down to ourselves, not depending on anything else. The opponent that we're actually wrestling is not people. We're, we're having it out with God. And then when it comes to the strategy, it's not holding down. It's holding on. I'll never forget one wrestling match in high school. The varsity guy got injured. I was on JV. And they said, hey, we're, we're wrestling Pomona this week, Pomona High School up north. And I remember, like, fear in my heart because I knew that the varsity wrestler for Pomona at my weight class was the previous year's state champion. And here I am, a junior varsity wrestler. So my teammate was like, this is, this is on the bus ride up. You're so dead. You're so dead, Nathan. It's like, thanks, thanks, man. Really, I hope you win too, okay? And he said, what, what are you going to do? And my strategy had shifted. I just went, you know what? 
I'm just going to try to hold on. I'm just going to try to hold on. And no joke, the guy pinned me in 32 seconds that night. And you know what? It was a win for me. It was a total win. I held on for 32 seconds. Amazing. Greatest match of my life. In our struggles, it has to shift. Not trying to hold him down, just trying to hold on. Finally, there's clarity about the outcome of the struggle that we face with God. And, and you see it next. Verse 27. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. And here's the verse that was up on the video. And it really has become, um, as I think through the different seasons of struggle in my own life, one of those life verses that we've been talking about the past few weeks. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. It's not that you've overcome God. It's not that you've overcome humans. It's that you've overcome struggle. And see, this is where we've got to get clarity when it comes to the struggles in life, about the outcome. Not just the preparation, not just the opponent, not just the strategy, but the outcome. And that outcome is you have to lose in order to win. When it comes to struggling with God, when it comes to wrestling God, you've got to lose in order to win. And in this case, what did Jacob lose? He lost everything he depended on. He sent it over. He lost his mobility, like literal mobility in his hip. But we all have some degree of mobility we enjoy in life, right? We, we like to be flexible, have some autonomy, be able to do some things. He lost that. And finally, this name change signified, as, as you often see it in Scripture, a change in character. Jacob, I'm going to change who you are. And Jacob's response, we read next. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. Then he blessed him there. Jacob, the thing you were born struggling over, the thing that day in the kitchen with the stew and the birthright, the thing that was at stake there, the thing that when your dad was on his deathbed that you deceived your brother out of, guess what? It wasn't tied to running people over and manipulating and deceiving and lying and cheating people out of things. It wasn't tied to a struggle with people. It wasn't tied to a struggle with anything around you, Jacob. Real blessing came in the struggle right here. That's where it came from. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared, because nobody could look God in the face. And live. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Isn't that interesting? He limped out of this wrestling match. See, our picture of victory is that you gotta win in order to win. And you gotta look strong, and you gotta look like the best, and you gotta be bigger, faster, stronger. And Jacob was limping because of his hip, he limped out of the match. His entire life up to this point, he's been after the blessing in all the wrong ways. And yet in this moment, when he got clear on the preparation, 
when he got clear on the opponent, when he got clear on the strategy, and we got clear on the outcome as he learned through all this, you know what the result was? Blessing. It was a blessing. And after, after this point, you follow Jacob's life, and it's not that the difficulties were gone. It was just that he went about things differently. He went about things completely, completely differently. There was a real change in him. And his life, after that point, really illustrates a truth for every single life. That God, God will not fully bless anybody he has not first conquered. God does not bless anybody that he hasn't first conquered. And for Jacob, that was an actual, literal wrestling match. You know what it is for you and I? It's not a wrestling match. It's an encounter. It's an encounter that every single struggle in life, every single wrestling match that we come across should point us to. Right there. At that cross. It's an encounter. It's an encounter where we are reminded that you don't come and depend on somebody else's faith, somebody else's relationship. You come, you and him, to the cross and trust in what he did for you. You come and you recognize that it's not, your opposition is not flesh and blood, as Paul told us. It's against powers and principalities. And the only, only, only way that you overcome that is to first deal with that struggle there right there at the cross and trust in his work there at the cross. You come and you recognize that you're not there to hold him down. You're to hold on. You're to cling to the cross. And finally, you come recognizing that the outcome that you're after is I'm going to lose in order to win. I'm going to lose my life to you, Jesus, in order to save it. And so it brings up some questions because some of you in here I got to be honest, when when I look back through the different seasons of my life, I know this is true of you because I can see it all over my life. How many times when something comes up, even the smallest thing, don't we make a phone call or we text somebody and we just start powering up and we get people on our side and we start depending on the things around us? For some, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe that's the wrestling. That's the lack of clarity in the wrestling. For some in here, It's not so much that, it's just that the eyes are on a different opponent. All you can see is people. All you can see is if they would just, or if they would just stop, if they weren't in the way, if they would just give in, then everything would be fine. For others, we already talked about this, just trying to hold him down constantly. God, my will be done. If if you just saw my will, God, I think you'd get on board with it. Come be part of what I'm up to, God. And then for some of us, we just are really bad at losing. But you got to lose in order to win because what is at stake is God's blessing. Now, to wrap up, there there was something that took place this last week and a half that um, I just thought, wow, that says it right there. Um, Many of you have told about we, we have... Uh, neighbors who have four daughters, and the oldest of the four daughters is actually, when we first moved in, she was out working in the yard, and my wife and I were out working in our yard, and um, we introduced ourselves, and you just started asking about their lives, and we said, hey, what do you, so what do you do? And she's like, oh, I just, I work in the, in the springs, Colorado Springs. We went, oh, cool, all right, so what do you do in Colorado Springs? She's like, oh, I, 
I work at the uh, U.S. Olympic Training Center. We're like, oh, okay, what do you do there? And I'm thinking like receptionist or, uh, I don't know, an assistant to somebody. And she's like, I'm on the uh, U.S. women's wrestling team. Oh, and my wife, God bless my wife, she said, oh, Nathan used to wrestle in high school. You guys should match up. And I was like, I'm going in. I'm going inside. What? We got inside. I was like, what was that? Yeah, I'm the U.S. Women's Olympic wrestling team. So she wrestled in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, actually, five years ago, because the pandemic pushed everything a year. And uh, the, the, the goal was always gold. The goal has always been gold for her. She was the favorite in Rio, Rio de Janeiro. She made it as far as the quarterfinals and then didn't advance past there. So just last week, she wrestled in Tokyo. And I got up early one morning because the, the matches over there take place at like 3 in the morning our time. So I get up, and her match was around actually 4 a.m. our time. I get up to watch, and she's in the gold medal match over in Tokyo. And I get up, and she, she wrestled an incredible match, but unfortunately um, fell short of what her goal was. But as I watched, you know, she got the silver, and they did this post-match interview and I could not believe just the joy that was coming out of her, knowing that her goal had always been gold, the joy coming out of her with this silver medal. She, just, she was just so exuberant and, and thrilled. Contrast that with a few days later, some of you may have read, there was a, a boxer who ended up getting the silver, and he wouldn't even hold it up. I mean, he was so ashamed of this silver medal. And I just went, you know what, that contrast, that's what it is right there. When it comes to this struggle, when it comes to this wrestling match, the one that, yes, there is a life-changing moment where you have that struggle and you make the decision at the cross to give your life over to him. But over and over and over, as we come back to our Heavenly Father, we struggle things out and we wrestle things out with him. You know what? It's exactly what, what that that contrast between these two Olympians look like. You got to be okay with a silver. You've got to. When you are wrestling things out with him, you've got to be okay with a silver. Because when you get okay with a silver, you know what happens? The thing, the thing that God, it's almost like he's smiling as he hands it to you. It's full of all the blessings of gold, of a gold medal. But in a very real way, you've got to get okay with a silver medal, because God does not fully bless anybody he has not first conquered. And so with that in mind, as we progress through the coming weeks, one of the things God did, and, and I think just incredibly blessed me with as I look back, is he gave me some perspective on some struggles that led to some further life verses that we'll talk about in the coming weeks. But in the meantime, go read this account. Think on this. Spend some time in Genesis 32 this week because you have a wrestling match coming up. We all do. So as the worship team comes back up, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, your word is so rich. And it's amazing to me that your word from centuries upon centuries upon centuries and generations upon generations gone by 
can speak to us, to every single thing we face today. And so, Lord, we ask, as we've been in Genesis chapter 32 this morning, we thank you for it. Lord, open our eyes as we go back through it, as we chew on it this week. Open our eyes to the places that maybe we've just lacked clarity in what our real struggle is. Lord, remind us that it's in that wrestling things out and struggling through things with you that that is where your blessing is to be found because the ultimate struggle was fought and won by you at the cross. And so, Lord, in that, in the work of your son, we trust our lives to that. Open our eyes to all of our ways. And, Lord, give us your eyes, your heart, your hands as we walk out these doors into our community, our world this week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.